my father was a farmer and I married into to a fisherman's family like Peter and at that particular time there was very few there were the only fishermen in Killybegs except for a few in like small boats punts and yawls and well I was 19 when I got married and that's 37 years ago well you were just called a fishwife you know what was uh, you had no status really not really not really yes. not at that particular time no yes I mean there was really they didn't want to associate much with them because they were classed as very poor things have changed a lot things since then. have changed a lot since then anybody's money that time was better than a fisherman's money it would really well it's hard to explain it because nowadays it wouldn't be credited that it was like that in those times but it was well in days gone by there was nothing only the hook and line and it was laborious work muscles had to be all opened out of the chair yeah, no, 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 when I was young there was no motor, all sail and oar. That's around this part of the coast, you know, because we were reared there. We couldn't keep a big boat. You had to pull the boat up on the beach every time you went out, or every time you came in, rather. No place to tire. It was a day and night work. Martha's were bad. Real bad. There was practically no money for us. Method of distribution was bad. In those days there was no ice, you know. None at all. Once the time was our only time we could make any money. Because the fishing in the summer months was no good at all. So you had to do all ruin. Then the summer season, a few months of the summer, you put that on salmon fishing. Salmon were a very bad price. Roughly around uh, those days, an old money chilling apart. Then you'd do a spell at the lobster. Well, the market there was very bad. I fished lobster for five shillings a dozen. That's hard to believe, but it's true. The sons then came along, and of course, they took up the fishing too. And on the 20th of March, 19, I think, 59, was it? 1959. On a Friday night, I was waiting on them to come in from fishing. And one of my sons didn't come. He was lost at sea. What happened? Did you ever hear? Yeah. Just as something that couldn't be avoided, like. At that particular time, it wasn't, you know, in the condition, like, to inquire into it, it's just a matter. And then, of course, they were looking on from the 20th of March to May, to his body was found. Of course, there were several uh, bits and pieces, like there's really three funerals, parts of it. So it didn't prevent the other three going fishermen either. They still kept on fishing so it's 
Uh, it's a lot better times than it was then. I mean, there was a 10, 12 pound in the week that time was counted a good week. Whereas now it's hundreds. Well, I think there are much better times. A long way. There's better facilities. There's a better way of living aboard the boats, you know. Good accommodation. The fishermen themselves are really better equipped, you know. In those days, an open boat, you know, we had no way of cooking anything. Nothing at all. You could be anything up to 12 hours, maybe longer, between meals. Was was the cold a big factor with you? It was. When you were young, you know, as we say, the greenhorn starting off, it was cold. Very cold. You got accustomed to it. But in severe cold, people lose the use of their hands, for example. Oh, yes. Lucky that's all you lost. The hands, the hands used to really get cold, you know, all the time. Flapping. But when you got started working, you know, and kept kept the body kept the body movement, you know, in your arms, the blood and circulation, that wasn't too bad. It was only when you were sitting idle that the cold really took effect. But the night work was a worse than a small boat, you know. Out at night. Exposed to all the elements. Hailstones, snow, frost, everything you could mention. Well, if it was reasonable at all, you had to be at sea. Even the boats were small. And the old men, you know, they were they come they were a tough breed. The old fishermen. Real tough. They were a hardy race. Peter McCalliog talking to me on the family trawler the Nordkop. I met his wife in their comfortable house on the hill. The Nordkop is skippered by their son Francis. What you have here, Forster Main Fishing Grounds, Tony Galway, which I suppose one of the best bays in the British Isles, if you look, or like it's stood up to Fleetwood Trawlers first, now ourselves, our own fleet. What do you fish for there? Whitings, haddock, cod, nearly all species, whitefish, herrings, mackerel, sprat. And then you have the our next grounds then, closest to us are Stags of Bloodhavens, about 40, 50 miles, about four and a half, five hours steaming from Killybegs. After that, half the stag, you have the continental shelf. So we haven't any boats here that's really able for that. Like, about over the 200 fathoms, mate. And there's a few of the newer boats here that you have, a few of those 86-footers might be, but for the smaller type boats, there's no... How do you decide which ground to go to, Donegal Bay or the Stags, for example, when you set sail out of the harbour here? Well, you've the number of boats and you're in radio contact with them. Most of the time you hear them. And you hear what the fishing's like. And you can uh, decide then what's the best place to go for, like, you know. There's a very bad coast here. You can change here very, very quick. When you get a blow-up here, you get a sea to contend with. It's different to the Irish Sea now, or the North Sea even. It's worse here because the sea you get here is mountainous even. And you can have that up even for three, four days after the one drops, like, you know. You were talking about Donegal Bay and all the type of fish that you can take there. Mm -hmm. But as I understand it, uh, a boat is equipped with a certain set of nets to take a certain type of fish. Yeah. Well, if you're fishing for whitefish, 
you'll be using that very hard on the bottom, like you know, tight on the bottom, as tight as possible. And if you're fishing for herring, well, you're using the net light or mackerel, because those fish tend to swim high. And uh, different type of nets altogether. But you carry them all? You carry them all, you have to. And how long does it take to change your set of nets to decide what uh, you're going to do? Min- a few minutes. Just you're rigged just to most, all the boats are rigged just to change as quickly as possible. Lots of time, save as much time as possible. What are the dangers of losing nets? <laughs> That's very easy done. So it is. Bad ground, if your warps or the bridles, your combination bridles you use to the net are bad or anything. And then if you're trying to tow in heavy weather or something like that, it's very severe in you as well. Do you, s- do you snag them off the bottom? You can snag them off the bottom. You can uh, burst them in heavy seas. You can blow them with fish, but that doesn't happen so much nowadays. It used to be years ago, but not anymore. What about fish prices now, uh, from the time you started fishing? Ah, well, it's better now, because even with rising costs now, like, prices are more stable now, like, you know. I mean, years ago, you might get, one day if you got easterly one or something like that, well, that meant the boats on the east coast weren't out, and you were sure of getting a good price, like, you know, this kind of thing. I suppose they were thinking the same thing, wishing for a westerly one. But um, now it's more stable, like, you know, we've got... Um, most of our sales are done here locally, which just helps a lot. Before this, it was sent all to Dublin. And there, that the last freight there, I think, in Dublin, is someone working over £2 a box. So at the end of a week's fishing, we'll say you had a couple of hundred bucks or something, up. that meant a hell of a lot, like, you know, plus commission and everything else. Well, what happens now? They're auctioned on the quay? Most, most uh, the stuff are, like, uh, small parts into Dublin, that's all. But wouldn't be saleable here. Are you all members of the co-op here, no? We are, yeah, the majority of us. There might be one or two boats that are not, but the majority, say 99% of the boats are. And do you feel that auction is the fairest way of selling fish? Is it not possible that prices can be fixed against you? Uh, not not really. I think the auction's about the fairest system you'll get out. So it, so it is, yeah. Definitely. Skittling, about four pounds, four pounds on the right, four pounds, four pounds, ten at four, ten at four, four going at four, four for ten, for ten, ten for ten, for ten, twenty, for twenty, but for twenty on the right, for twenty, ten for twenty, thirty for thirty, four, for forty on the right, for forty, ten for forty, for forty, fifty, for fifty, for fifty, sixty, ten for sixty, going for sixty, for sixty, seventy, for seventy, for seventy, eighty, for eighty, ten for eighty, ninety, for ninety, ten for ninety, for ninety on the left, for ninety, going for ninety, five pounds, five pounds on the five, 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 ten, by ten, for ten, twenty, ten by twenty, going by twenty, thirty, by thirty. By 30 on the left, by 30, seven by 34, by 40, by 40, 50, by 50, seven by 50 on the left, by 50. 60 going by 60, by 60 on the right, by 60. For the last time at 560. The All Gary is a fine modern trawler skippered by Noel McGing. We went aboard her at quarter to five in the morning, and at five o'clock we moved gently out of harbour. But it didn't stay gentle for long. There was a force six wind, and the waters of Donegal Bay seemed to move in all directions at once. Before succumbing to severe seasickness, I spoke to Noel. Noel, it takes you about an hour to steam out to the fishing grounds. Yeah, it was an hour today anyway. So we must be nearly there. Yeah, we're ready to shoot now. And uh, with these buzzers you were pressing just now, that was for what? To wake the crew? 
just uh, get the crew ready to shoot me. And the crew sleep aboard all the time, do they? The crew sleep aboard from Sunday evening up Sunday. We go to fish on Sunday after mass. Generally after mass, we're at it then to Friday night. And, uh, they must be aboard to fish like... Well now, when you shoot your nets, you'll tow them how far? We tow them 14, 16 miles. 14, 16 miles. And or depending then on what you come up with, you'll either stay there or move on, would That's you? right. We have a good indication after that length of time whether it's worth our while staying in that place or moving to another area. And how many times in one day will you shoot your nets? Four or five times, depending on uh, how far we have to go to the fishing ground. Depending on if we tear our gear or bust up or something happens to us. And each tow takes how long? About four hours. About four hours. And how do you know what kind of fish you're going to going to get? We get a. We have certain nets for certain types of fish. For um, white fish or for herring or for fish meal. We have different types of nets for the different types of fish. And uh, I would say local knowledge gives us an indication as to what kind of fish we're going to catch in a certain place. What about all this elaborate instrumentation in front of you? It's like the it's like the flight deck of a Boeing or something. It's nothing above the average. It's used for catching fish. Well, throughout the day, you'll see it all being used. It all has to work every day. And without it, we have very little use in going to fish. Like it's very essential to the operation to have it all working. But really it's a mixture of local knowledge and your scientific instruments here. I would say yes, it's a combination of both. What kind of money would you have to clear to pay the running expenses of a boat like this? For the running expenses... Fourteen, fifteen hundred pound a week. Would that include repayments on the boat? Uh, no, no, it would not. So uh, really, I would say count the repayments about twenty-four hundred a week. So you're talking a big business, really? It's a big business. It's a lot of money. And twenty-four hundred before the crew gets a share. That's right. Or you, for that matter. That day on the Algarry, we fished for 16 hours. In the late evening, as we headed back towards Kitty Beggs, I checked on how the day had gone. You only had a fair day, I'd say, now. What did you do? Three toes? We had three toes for 60 boxes, approximately. And how many miles to a tow? Uh, 12 miles to the tow. 
roughly that 12 miles. Now 60 boxes, um, so would that see you out on the day? Just about, just about now, depending a lot on the price now. If the price is middling, it would just about clear the day. You got mostly what? Oh, mostly white, some uh, 20 box of mixed fish. Uh, what's the best fish to go after, from your point of view? The best fish to go after is heron. There's no doubt about that. Heron is the the main fish for us. But what would be a good day on herring? How many boxes? No, on the box of heron, it's a good days. What's the best you've ever taken on this one? Five hundred boxes for one pollock, for one tow, like for one tow, for one tow. And you were able to get it inboard, were you? No, there's no problem. Like, boat is equipped for that. Like, it's, it's not so hard. That's the easiest part. <laughs> First catch up. Yeah, today is today is a much harder day when there's not much fish. We had nearly arrived back in port when we heard dramatic news. First, here's Michael Murphy to read the main bulletin. The Minister for Foreign Affairs said in Luxembourg today the government might be prepared to waive the ban on big trawlers due to come into operation on Sunday. This would apply to vessels from EEC countries ready to restrict catches in our waters. Dr Fitzgerald and the Minister for Fisheries are in Luxembourg for an EEC minister's meeting on fisheries. This evening, the Irish Fishermen's Organisation said it was baffled by Dr Fitzgerald's position on the issue and had called for his resignation. A bomb has destroyed a wholesale warehouse in Belfast. Oh, no, what do you think of that? The staff got clear before the explosion, which starts the fire. Not very much. Like, there's not much, not much future in it for us if he... They're supposed to be giving us something in one hand and they're taking it away directly in the other. It's not much... Do you think the 50-mile the limit could have been made to work in any way, though? Oh, it can be made to work. There's have the boats all they want is the well but they don't have the well surely we don't have enough boats we've only three or four fishery protection boats and uh, they can't cover the whole coast you have but uh, but I would think you have nurseries where fish breed and if they were protected and surely six corvettes are fit to protect stretches of water around our coast to that extent I would believe Well you feel let down by this uh, what sounds like a retraction of what was decided last week Well it is a retraction like uh, there's no doubt about it like if you give a 50 mile if you talk about a 50 mile limit and then in the next breath, let in the big trawlers. The whole object of the thing is defeated. You're trying to get out the big trawlers. They're the ones that's doing the big damage. Someone said to me that they do not so much a trawling job as a vacuum cleaning job. Is that right? That's true. It's systematic. Vacuum cleaned. They just wipe every place clean like 
they have the facilities to do it they have the research boats to back them up and they just go from one area to the other and just clean the whole coast along with it Someone said you you can judge by nationalities that certain nationalities are worse than others that some of them scoop up everything they can and nothing ever goes back Nothing ever goes back I would agree with that Different nationalities follow different species of fish. The Dutch, they follow the heron. The French, they follow the white fish. And they can sell any kind of white fish in France, anything with an eye in it, they can sell it. And they have been brought to the courts here and find and been shown to use small mesh has been all swept under the carpet they haven't been fine for the job at all the Dutch they have the finest heron fleet in the European waters and they just make their home off Donegal coast for three months of the year, four months of the year Fishing limits and their enforcement quotas, conservation These are the subjects that override every other consideration in the minds of the trawler men nowadays. Everyone has an opinion, but there is consensus as to the need for action. Tony Lenan, a crew member of an Aran trawler. Uh, We do need a 50-mile limit. and uh, I don't agree with the quota system at all. I think we need a 50-mile limit or nothing, and no quotas. Francis McCallyog, the skipper of the Nordcap. Taking everything. I mean, they don't throw anything back, so they don't. The French, they do a lot of harm, because they use a very small mesh net, below regulations altogether. And everything they take, they take with them, because they'll eat anything in France, as long as it's named fish. <laughs> so they will. Who else? What about the Russians? I don't know so much about the Russians, but about three years ago, I remember, there the Russian fleet, there was about... 14 or 50 of them working off the stags of the mothership. And those boats were continuous. They were continually fishing. And loading the mothership all the time. So, I mean, when you take the like of that, about two or three of those boats would have the catching power of the whole Irish fleet combined for the size of boats you have. Peter McCallyog. I have been a fisherman all my life. And there's a boat... There's an old saying, a poacher thinks more than one he gets illegal and a ten he'll get legal. But I think Ireland's entitled to a better, a better deal. See, after all, there's a lot of money invested in some, on local boats. You can see it here. They're all modern boats now, only they're not all on today. They're good for them gone out. So after all, if you invest 300 or 500 or you sign for that amount, you'd like to get a fair deal, you know. James McLeod, formerly a fisherman, now a director of a local factory. The real problem that faces everybody in the fishing industry is the conservation of stocks. There has been such a build-up in fishing fleets everywhere that uh, the demand on stocks is, as we see it, excessive. And uh, there should be good future for the fishing there's a big fleet built up now fine modern boats and uh, tending to extend their activities all the time to increase in size extend their activities 
and provided stocks can be properly handled, proper conservation, there should be a good and continuing future in fishing. But uh, we've always felt that fishing to date has been very much uh, akin to hunting in that uh, everybody just went out for what was there to catch as much as they could and that uh, a different thinking has to be introduced where uh, it becomes more in some degree akin to farming agriculture where you study your stocks and how you utilize them. Do you see conservation tied up with this 50 mile limit? Oh I would think so, very much so because if you don't have control if you cannot control the fishing operation then you are always going to have somebody who is going to disregard the rules. Peter Wynne, a member of the crew of a local trawler. Uh, the limits, I would like to see them enforced, even if it did have to come to a similar situation as a Cod War, but I don't think it's quite possible in, in this country because we have relied in the last few years and will continue to rely too much on EEC policies and their grants and everything else. And as the Dutch pointed out in the night and evening paper, Ireland is quite happy to take the EEC grants but not prepared to give the fish. So I can't see how the Paddy Dunningham has any choice but to back down if it came to the grunge, which is unfortunate, but I can't see any other way out of it. I'd like to think that we would have our own 50-mile limit, but I'm afraid it's wishful thinking a lot. At the moment, are there many foreigners fishing close in? You get them all right. I mean, the thing is, the naval service, no matter what limit you have, is just far too small to contend with any of these people. I mean, it's the old story. I mean, there was one there last week with a French boat arrested in Galway. And to my mind, it's the case of the fleet of them being in. Send one man inside. He has to be arrested. And, well, he's been taken in. The rest of them are in fishing. I mean, there's no way, unless you have a fairly good cover operation by the Naval Service in conjunction maybe with the Air Corps. If you had that going, you could do something about it, but the way things are at the moment, any man can come in there and fish and no one say about him. Well, at the moment, do you come across many foreign boats when you're out? You do. You can come, come across them fairly regularly. Um, I suppose the, the bigger the boats are, as Francis probably told you, they just steam right through you, and they couldn't care less. I mean, they'll come in anyway. I mean, well, we might as well just be peasants on the water. Get out of the way quick. <laughs> you're going to go through you. Well, there is a large amount. Of, they work in fleets, you see. They very, very seldom get the odd boat on his own. And it's the story of a coaster going along with them, or a mothership, whatever you call it. They just fill up, fill up, fill up, and that's it. So that isn't too pleasing to watch. Peter Pringle, a crew member of the Xi'an. The territorial limits as we have them are worked on a contour base, right? And so fish don't recognise these limits either. And our, we work, in fact, most of the time outside of the existing limits. That's where the ground is. And so any, any limit has got to be in relationship to the actual fishing ground that's there. Now, it's, it's, the, uh, there are arguments, you know, about the capital investment that's been put into the fleet and the return that's been given. But in areas like Donegal, this whole coast along here lives on fishing. If there's no fishing in this pier, there's no money in this town. That's the pure and simple fact of the matter. The existing factories on the shore, 
uh, all the ancillary like uh, support industries, even it's the service industries, wouldn't function because there are like 1,200 people here now, approximately, and it would be, I'd say, lose by a third of that sort of population in this town if there was no fishing. The whole town depends on it. If there's a, a period for five or six weeks when there's no fishing here, you can see it. The, the money is not circulating. You see, so we need the 50 mile limit is essential. It's essential that what grounds are there are protected. At the present moment and for some years past, um, one of the principal parts of the industry for us is the herring. We fish the herring through the winter period from late, late August through till maybe March, possibly April, depending on the season. Now, in the summertime, we take a limited amount of herring out from the stag grounds. And this is on bottom trawling. The size of our fleet hasn't in the past made any great difference you know to hasn't destroyed or, or hampered the development of herring in the area but in the last four or five years with particularly with the large russian fleets dutch fleets that are out there and they're working like 24 hours a day seven days a week well, with factory ships backing them up with their own oil tankers even the russians have their own oil tankers out there fishing solidly in, in large vessels that are catching in one lift probably more than we would kill in a day's fishing. You know. well, what happens there is they're depleting the stocks and consequently uh, during the period when the, the herring is spawning and they come into the shore, the volume of fish is just not there anymore. And for the past two years, the only effective way to kill herring during the winter here has been to fish up to the shore because the volume of fish just hasn't been there. If that continues, there will be no herring here. So do you think that given uh, Corvette, say, based in Killybegs, that you could hold off these Dutch and Russian fleets? Oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely, yeah. If the Corvette did its job, if it did its... You essentially need an all-weather vessel, but at least you need a vessel that can go to sea in the weather that this type of foreign boat is capable of fishing in. If the weather's so bad that they're not capable of fishing, well, then there's no problem. Um... Last weekend, I wasn't here myself, but I believe last weekend there was a large fleet of Danish boats in here. On any period during extremely bad weather, you could get anything up to 8, 10. I've seen 14 Dutchmen anchored out there in the harbour. I mean, these boats would normally be fishing out on the grounds off the coast. And that's, that's a, a, an accepted fact. We here, the general attitude amongst fishermen in relationship to this is that we listen to what's going on within the government we hear them declaring 50 mile limit and then backing down on the thing and, and, and then declaring it again and probably going to back down on it again and even allowing themselves the escape clause of saying well uh, you know if provided the EEC countries will give us a guarantee that what fish they will catch will conserve stocks well then we will concede to that well we know and everybody else knows in the industry that the foreign vessel is not going to to uh, adhere to that. It hasn't worked in the Irish Sea. Uh, it isn't working anywhere, the quota system. And so therefore there's only one thing to do, and that's push out the limits and maintain what's there. And in, main, in, in getting that then, the problem for the Irish fleet then is the practice of proper conservation methods and proper fishing methods then to ensure that the stocks come back because the stocks are not there. 
Sean McGuinness, a director of a local fish meal factory, a man who has gone to Brussels to push the fishermen's cause. Even with what boats we have at the moment, we can make a good enough fish of it if they disperse them properly around the coast and if they had any backup from air service at all. But the chief element is having caught, caught poachers, that you want to have a realistic fine. I mean, taking in uh, a trawler which may be 150 foot long and fining them 50 or 100 pounds is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, they want to have a realistic minimum scale of fine starting at at least 25,000 pounds. But don't they do that? Don't they confiscate the gear? That, that, that is, uh, that's uh, a separate penalty. But they want to have minimum fines as well, as well as confiscating the, the gear and catch. And indeed, for the factory trawlers, they would want to take the processing equipment that they have aboard into account as well. Because some of them have um, the same processing equipment that we have in our own factory here, plus the addition of... Uh, fish meat plants. Albert Swan, whose company in Killybegs makes nets. You will always get people that will break the law anyway. But if there's a law there, then any person that does break it and is caught and he pays the penalty, he, has no, he hasn't any uh, real uh, crib. But it's the, uh, the problem, the greatest problem is if you haven't got a law, you can't even take the man in there uh, if, if you could. If you're in the position to take him in, you still haven't got the law to, inf- uh, to take him in. So I think that the 50-mile limit, whilst uh, you may think that it's impossible to patrol, it is impossible to patrol every square mile of that at all times. But there's a lot of the, the foreigners, they're not at all uh, the lawbreakers that they uh, all the time if there's a law there then it can be it is possible to um, enforce it but if there's no law there then there's uh, it's just free for all joe burke another local businessman who has an interest in fishing yeah well if we're going to, if we're going to get a 50 mile limit or anything approaching it i believe that it will, going to, it will be a problem uh, to polices a problem from the financial point of view, I don't believe that the government here could possibly afford the, the number of ships that w- might be needed to patrol the area effectively. But uh, they should consider uh, buying very good second-hand, uh, probably stern trawlers now, and fish out of that, be fishing out in that area and make them pay for themselves in that way and have a, a man on board or two men on board capable of making the arrest. Give um, some crew member police powers, in effect. Yes, or even have a departmental man on or a member from the Department of Defence on. I mean, you'd be wor- working like the old uh, Q-ships in the case of the World War I, <laughs> something like that, you know. But the great difference, the Q-ships were secretly armed. Would you arm your stern trawlers? Well, there has to be a matter for, for the, for, for the um, external affairs to make up their mind about, but if they, they will have to do something like this. I mean, you must be in a position to indicate to the poacher poacher that you're being business. Exactly. You're not going to be able to enforce it without being armed. Well, you can have a gun. I don't think the intention is to sink any ship, but you can warn them. And most of them toe the line once you fire at them. A drastic remedy for what is seen as a drastic problem. Proposals like this arise from the doubt and uncertainty that everyone feels. 
the people in the industry are very confused at this point in time because we have tried to make it abundantly clear over this last number of weeks and indeed the IFO over this last 12 months that what we need at the moment is a fairly stringent conservation measure because our stocks are very badly depleted. Uh, Landings of herring in particular, which the West Coast processing plants depend on for most of their supplies, are only about 50% of what they were in the 73 season. And the prospects seem to be even worse for the coming season. The reasons for conservation are pressing. Another point that we're very conscious of here, of course, on the West Coast, is that take the fishing industry, boat building, net making, and all the other engineering and ancillary bits and pieces out of Killybegs, that uh, there's very little employment left, and the same holds true of Bortonport, Greencastle, Ross of Eel, Dingle, Castletown Bear, and the other major landing centres around the coast. With depleted stocks and fears for the future, it's surprising that the fishing industry doesn't seek new types of fish. The Danes steam for five days to catch blue whiting off our west coast where they're in abundance. Not a single Irish boat goes after this fish. I remarked on this to the skipper of a Danish trawler, an Icelander called Arne Gislason. I just uh, don't understand the Irish people in this case because uh, they are uh, having the country almost at the banks. In the beginning it's about 50 to 100 miles off the west coast of Ireland and then it comes nearer and uh, there may be some 180 to to 250 miles in, in May. So you are having the fish at your door. These are worrying times for the fishing industry and new initiatives are badly needed. Noel McGing of the Algari sees the future in terms of black and white. The overall picture since we got the boat seems to indicate that we can make our pay if we get reasonable chance and reasonable protection within the limits. You know, if we get some kind of limits to give us some kind of protection against the, these big factory ships, if we get some kind of protection against them, we stand a good chance of paying off. And the people to come after us, our own children, they have a chance to come after us. Like, possibly, if we don't get the limits, we'll succeed ourselves to get out of We'll break even in the fishing lake, but there'll be no livelihood for anyone to come after us.